Well, good morning. It is such a humble privilege and, and joy to be able to open God's word together with you this morning. And what a, an overwhelming joy it is to be able to sing with one heart and one accord, one voice with God's people, the rich truths that we just sang. Honestly, with the truth that we just heard this morning, we can say amen and go home. But God has given us this opportunity to open his word and to study it together, to be blessed by it, to be convicted by it, to be comforted by it. It's been said that the job of the preacher is either to uh, con convict the comfortable, to afflict the comfortable, or to comfort the afflicted. And I do pray that both of those would take place today by the spirit and grace of God through his word. Well, it is talked about in thousands of books. It is the message of thousands of movies that we watch. It is written about in thousands of poems. It's sung about in thousands of songs. It's said to be something magical. It's said, something, it's said to be something that you fall into. There's even a holiday that celebrates it. And it's called love. But without delving into all the distorted views of what love is and how love is depicted in our world and what it looks like, I would ask you to open your Bibles at this time to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Now, in order to put our text this morning rightly in our minds, we need to go back to chapter 4, verse 31, and read through chapter 5, verse 2, because they are connected with the most significant phrase, just as. Just as. So please read our text this morning, beginning in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. The word of God reads, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice or meanness. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. This is God's word. And in light of our text this morning, our theme will obviously be why and how Christians should imitate their Savior. It's been said that the three most important words of real estate are location, Location, location. It's been said that the three most important words for an athlete or a musician is practice, practice, practice. Well, in the same vein, what would you say are the three most important words in the development of a person's character? Can I suggest example, example, example? Because what we see is vital, no, not vital, essentially important in who we become. 
You've heard it said that, that most things are caught than taught. Well, that is true when it comes to becoming. When it comes to becoming, we typically, typically want to become like the people we admire the most. Now, no doubt, most of us here this morning remember the phenomenon that exploded in the 1990s in youth ministries and churches and conferences all across America, and the movement was all about the phrase, what would Jesus do? WWJD. You saw it on t-shirts, bumper stickers, bracelets, keychains, literally on anything you could engrave or screen print, right? And the whole point behind this movement was the simple idea that Christianity was about following Jesus. And it wasn't a bad principle, was it? Because think about it. <laughs> if you knew what Jesus would do in any given situation and circumstance that you've ever been in, and you did that, <laughs> that sounds like an awfully good principle to apply to your life, <laughs> in my life, right? But dear church, this morning, following the example of Jesus of Nazareth is far more than a cultural fad. It is the summation and foundation for what it means to be a Christian. And it's the heartbeat of our passage today. So we'll dial this in and, and see what it means to live a life of love. The command to imitate God in chapter 5, verse 1. We see in our text this morning, the apostle Paul says, Therefore, and my dad used to always tell me, in understanding the scriptures, and when you come across the therefore, you have to understand what the therefore is therefore, exactly. And so the therefore is in light of our new life in Christ and in light of his gracious forgiveness of all of our sin that we see at the end of chapter 4 of Ephesians. He says, be imitators of God. <clears throat> That's the highest standard you can ever find in the universe. And the word imitate is from the Greek mimetai. And it sounds a lot like the word mimic because that's what it means. It means to mimic, to emulate the example of another. Being image bearers of God, we should expect no less of a command. Just as the moon reflects solely the light of the sun, so too we as Christians should reflect the light of the Son of God. Hear what God's word says. Hear what he says in Leviticus 19.2. Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Matthew 5.48. You are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.16 and 11.1. Be imitators of me as I am, though, of Christ and Christ only. Now, the thing about true imitation, that is copying the behavior of another, is that you not only mimic what you see, you understand the attitude and intention behind the action or the words of another. For example, an animal copies a behavior without understanding the significance of that behavior. A parrot recites the words of its owner. Dogs will imitate their owner's sleep patterns or even their emotions or moods. You dog lovers, 
owners, you understand how this works. Little children will mimic the good, the bad, and the ugly of their parents without understanding really what they're doing and what's going on. Now, should the Christian mimic God simply because Paul, by the Spirit of God, says to do so? Yes, but parents don't use that. Don't just use that for your children, because I said so. You can in certain circumstances, but that's not our standard. Paul could have said, do this with no explanation. But in the fact that God has communicated to us and revealed himself to us, we have infinite reason to mimic and imitate our God. And and we'll observe this, the end of verse 1 and verse 2, we'll have eternal, compelling reason to imitate God, found beginning in this phrase, beloved children. Do you see that in your text? Therefore, imitate God as beloved children. I love what Bill Mount says. He says, beloved is the best adjective in the Bible. What a warm and endearing description it is to be given. Beloved children. This word indicates an action on the part of the one doing the loving. And the reason this description is so weighty and wonderful is because, number one, we don't make ourselves children of God. We don't make ourselves children of God. Any more than we have caused our own physical birth from our mother's womb, we don't make ourselves children of God. John 1.13 says, We are children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 1 John 3.1 says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are, beloved. Now we are children of God. So number one, why this phrase is so wonderful is because you're not the one who's made yourself a child of God. Especially seeing our condition, as we see in Ephesians chapter 2, that we were dead in our sins and transgressions, and God has made us alive together with him by nothing that we have done. This is amazing, to be called a beloved child of God. We don't make ourselves children of God. And number two, the reason why this phrase is so wonderful is we can't earn the love of God by being or becoming good children. Isaiah 64, 6 says, All our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. Titus 3, 5 says, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. We don't, we can't earn the love of God by being good children. So Paul, at the, at the very beginning of this letter to the Ephesian church, grabs our attention by showing us our beloved status by using the Bible's longest run-on sentence in the original language. And he's allowed to do that because this is God's word. The longest sentence in all the scriptures happens to concern our beloved status. And this is a depiction here in 1st And in in Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14, this is the glory of the Trinity in loving us and making us beloved 
This is the work of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit crammed into this long sentence. Please read it, read it with me and be in awe of how you are beloved, dear Christian, this morning by the Trinity, our God who is one, our God who is one in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, equal, doing this work for us and to the glory of his name. Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We could stop there because we're going to spend eternity enjoying and expressing our glory to God for that sentence right there. Verse 4 goes on, though. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise, the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end, that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. No wonder, no wonder we ought to imitate God, who is not only our maker, but the one who before the creation of the universe set, lavished his redeeming love upon us before you and I could do absolutely nothing, nothing. And so because of this redeeming love, this obviously brings us to verse 2, to the compelling call to love, the compelling call to love. Now, it's important to note the verb that really stitches this the rest of this letter together beginning in chapter 4, verse 1 of Ephesians. We see this verb, this phrase, to walk. This metaphor of walking. Paul, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. This, dear friends, this morning is the launching imperative of what to do, how to be, and how to live in the final three chapters of Ephesians. And just real briefly, the outline of Ephesians is Ephesians chapters 1 to 3, we see our Christian position. And in chapters 4 to 6, we see the Christian's practice. 
We see the doctrine, the amazing truths of God of what he has done for us in Christ and our position, our standing before him in righteousness because of Christ. And now we see how we are to be practicing and living. We see our duty. It's interesting to see how the Apostle Paul uses the idea of walking in this letter. And he uses it a lot. Just for example, look quickly with me. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Walk in unity. Chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. Walk in holiness. Chapter 5, 7 to 14. Walk in light. Chapter 5, 15 to 6, 9. Walk in wisdom. Especially with your family in the workplace. It's really interesting. You see this walk, walk, walk throughout the letter, and then you get to chapter 6, verse 11, and the Apostle Paul says, stand. Stand firm in spiritual warfare. And then in the middle of all of this is the command to walk or live in love at the beginning of our text this morning in chapter 5. To walk refers to daily habit, daily pattern. Ancient times, that was daily travel. It wasn't by mule or, or donkey or horse. The most common way to travel was by walking. And so as common and as routine as it was for people to walk from place to place, so too our lives should be characterized by love, just as common as it is for you and I to literally walk. And the parallel passage is in Colossians 3.14, and it says, Beyond all these things, put on love. Put it on. Walk in love. This is the perfect bond of unity. Walk in love. Real quickly, there are four unique forms of love that are found in the Scriptures. Number one, eros. This is the sensual, romantic love, which is reserved for the marriage. This is reserved for husband and wife. We see this explained in Proverbs 5, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And though you will not find the actual word eros in the Greek or the Hebrew there, yet the depiction is clearly given between husband and wife. Secondly, we see the form of love, storge, which is a familial, natural Love, which is developed. You see that with Jacob and his sons, Mary and Martha with their dear brother Lazarus, we see that storge, familial love. Three, we see phileo. This is the brotherly love that unites believers. And this is a deep, intimate friendship of love. It even has to do with emotion, great emotion that we have in and because of Christ towards one another. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. This is the idea of being devoted And then we come to the word agape, divine love, God's love, which is perfect. And this is our word this morning in what it means to walk in love, in God's love. And in consulting three different Greek lexicons for this magnificent word, agape, summed it down just to these quick four points. Esteem. Hold high. Have affection for. Be concerned about. Care about. Walk in this. Walk in this disposition of esteeming others. Being affectionate toward them. Being concerned toward them. Caring for them. How important is this? Dr. Harold Horner says, quote, I love this. 
The command to walk in love is the summary theme of all the exhortations in Ephesians and in the Bible. (laughs) You can't miss it. Spurgeon says it similarly. All the positive injunctions Christians must heed that Paul specifies in this epistle may be summarized as actions motivated by love. Esteem, affection, concern, care. Question, how does Jesus summarize the entire law of God? How does he summarize all the expectations of God? Well, he does so in one short conversation with a pharisaical lawyer in Matthew chapter 22. Now, as we read Matthew chapter 22, keep in mind that this, this Pharisee who is a lawyer is trying to chat Jesus because whatever Jesus says, he's probably going to call an audible and say, oh, time out. What about this commandment? What about that? What's the greatest commandment in the law? Because because it seems if you can obey the greatest commandment in the law, then you've got the rest falling in line, right? Matthew 22, 34 to 40. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, (laughs) they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And before that lawyer could say anything else and and squeeze a word in edgewise to say, Well, what about this commandment? Well, what about that one? Let's talk about this one. This one's a real hot one. Jesus doesn't let him. Because in verse 39... He immediately says, the second, by the way, (laughs) is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And before they could squeeze in another word after that to say, okay, great. What about this one? Jesus then says, oh yeah, and on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. (laughs) Incredible statement. Think about it. Every verse in the Old Testament and the New Testament, I would suggest to you, every single command, every admonition, every exhortation can find itself in one of two categories. One, they they help you know how to love God better. And two, they help you know how to love others better. It all falls in one of those two categories. So Jesus teaches that all the commandments of Scripture find themselves in loving. In loving. Exactly as Paul is telling us in our text this morning, walk in love. Now, please don't get me wrong this morning. Yes, their love does discriminate, and Scripture tells us how but we're not going there. That's not the message for the morning. This is for the believer how and why we are to walk in love. Paul packs the same truth in a short paragraph to the church at Rome in Romans 13, verses 8 to 10, explaining that our only obligation to one another is to love them. (laughs) To love them. 
Romans 13, 8 and following. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, Paul says, to save a little ink, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. <laughs> what a statement. Love is the fulfillment of God's requirement called the law. <laughs> Listen to the simplicity and comprehensiveness of this statement. You, you want a new life verse this morning? You, you want to highlight, so you're looking for something to highlight? Perhaps this one. 1 Corinthians 16, 14. <laughs> I think we can memorize this one. Let all that you do be done in love. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 13, Paul backs up. We back up in the same letter. First Corinthians 13 verses 4 to 8 gives us a beautiful description of love, not only for a marriage and for a beautiful Christian wedding. This is Christian love extended into relationships. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. That is, it's long-suffering. It, 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 it suffers wrongly long. Love is kind. It means it's useful, helpful, and is not jealous. That is, it doesn't, it doesn't want what is yours because it all belongs to the Lord anyway. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, as it doesn't talk a whole lot about himself or herself. Does not act unbecomingly, that is, inappropriately or, or in a mature, immature manner. Does not seek its own. It's selfless. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. Is not provoked. Is not easily irritated or, or angered. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. That is, you don't make chicken scratch in the back of your locker room door and write down the wrongs that were done against you, the offenses that were done against you. Verse 6, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. H have you noticed that this depiction of love is um, a picture of Christ? It's a picture of the heart of Christ. And this is how we are to act towards others. This is not merely a modification of our disposition towards others. Rather, because we have a new resurrected life in Christ, because we've been transformed, this is what we do. This is to be who we are. Paul did not just say, be a loving person. Be nice. And that's it. No, this love is a deliberate imitation of our Savior, which brings us to our motivation to love. The motivation to love as, as Christ's love. So we see the command to imitate God and walk in love. But then we see the comparison of how we are to do this with the attention-grabbing phrase, as we mentioned at the beginning, just as. Let me ask us this morning, what motivates you? What motivates me? to copy others in exactly what they do or, or how they talk and, and what they say? What motivates us? 
can I suggest that for something to motivate you and I, you got to have an affinity for it. it. There has to be something in your blood. There has to be something in your nature that, that aspires to attain to it. As far back as I can remember, I don't know what age, I've always loved karate. I've always loved martial arts. I've always been fascinated by it. Now, I'm not talking about the, the blood and the breaking of bones. I'm not talking about that. But the, 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 the martial arts, the, the karate, the movement of the body in such a way. I would study Bruce Lee. I would get his book that he wrote. I would, I would ask my dad, to stop by to the dojo. Let's watch them break those words. Let's watch him do those awesome katas. Let's watch... There's just something in me. There's always has been from the youngest I could possibly remember, even to this day. Don't approach me afterwards and try and do something to me. I will not fight. <laughs> There's just always been something in me. The truth is, if one is beloved by God, if you're a new creation in Christ, and you see the imitations of Christ fluttering around you like we do at North Lake Bible Church, it gets contagious. And you want to be not a spectator of them. You want to be an imitator of them. Because selflessness is attractive and beautiful. And that is our Savior. That is the Christ. And that brings us to the fact that love is selfless. We see that in our text this morning. What did Christ do for us? The text says it clearly. He gave himself up for us. When you examine the life of Christ and all the admonitions to love, you can boil it down to this. Ready? Love is selfless. Love is selflessness. See, the opposite of love isn't hate. It's selfishness. Love is the other's orientation of life. The opposite is to be self-oriented in life. He gave himself up for us, just as Galatians 2 says. The life that I now live in Christ is by faith for the one, to the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. He gave himself up. Brian Chapel tells us the story of what happened in his hometown. Two brothers were playing on the sandbanks by the river. One ran up after the other brother up a large mound of sand. Unfortunately, the mound was not solid, and their weight caused them to sink in quickly. When the boys did not return home for dinner, the family and neighbors organized a search. They found the younger brother unconscious, with his head and soldiers sticking out above the sand. When they cleared the sand to his waist, he awakened. The searchers asked, "'Where is your brother?' The child replied, I'm standing on his shoulders. The older brother lifted the younger brother to safety, literally giving himself up for his brother. Now, Jesus said in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And this is beautiful. This is amazing. And back up in to John 13, he's speaking in the context of the upper room with his disciples and speaking of the love that he is going to lay down his life for his friends. 
That's the context. Now, this is wonderful and great, but the selfless love of Christ goes beyond that. And Paul shows us in Romans chapter 5, this is stunning. This is indescribable. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 10. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Literally, anti-God. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die, such as someone jumping in front of another car for one whom they love, and they take the blow of the car, and their life is taken to save that other life who is their friend, who is their dear loved one. Someone would dare even to die for that that good person. But verse 8, but God placards. He demonstrates, he shows his love, his love, his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, stiff-arming God, dead in our sins, Christ died for us. (laughs) Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Are you getting it? Do you see the depictions of who we once were? We were helpless, ungodly, sinners, enemies of God. Our text says he gave himself up. Hebrews 7.27, he offered himself up for sins as the sacrifice, as the atonement for those who would believe. He offered himself willingly. Just think about this. He could have escaped, couldn't he have? Calling the angels, he told his disciples. But he didn't. He didn't. He was, in fact, he was mocked for not escaping. He can save others. Why not himself? At any moment in ministry, at any moment in the cross, at any moment in his suffering, he could have escaped. But he didn't. He didn't. Add to this incredible selfless love of the Son for us, the love of the Father as well. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Now, this morning, you all are my favorite people, okay? North Lake Bible Church, you're my favorite people. You're my friends. But if I was unspeakably given the choice, you can either save your friends at North Lake Bible Church or you can save one of your children, (laughs) you all would be in a lot of trouble. Because I love my children. You see how different God's love is than ours? Romans 8, 32 He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? 
how great is his love? How great is his love? Dear weary Christian, (laughs) are you doubting the love of God this morning? Well, you may not be a New Year's resolution kind of a person, but perhaps Jonathan Edwards can help you with a New Year's resolution. How How about the 25th one that he wrote? Jonathan Edwards, 20 years old, wrote, to examine carefully, constantly, what that one thing is in me that causes me to doubt the love of God. Even the least little bit, and then to direct all my forces against it. Resolved to oust away anything I find that diminishes my assurance of God's love and grace. going hand in glove with Christ's selfless love for us is the depiction of how he gave himself up for us. We see that hand in hand. His love is sacrificial. We see our text this morning that says an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Our final phrase in verse 2 here points us back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. These animal sacrifices were pleasing aroma to God. Mentioned some 50 times in the Old Testament. Think of it. The sacrificial death of God's son, <laughs> this, is, this is almost unbearable to say. The sacrificial death of God's son, it was pleasing. It was a pleasing aroma to the Father. Like Isaiah 53 says, it pleased God to crush his son. How? Why? Why was this pleasing to him? Why is this a sweet-smelling aroma? Because for his bride, the church, because for his beloved ones, it provided atonement for the sins of those he came to save. Even, even beyond the atonement, as John 1 says, as, as, as John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, so Paul takes us back to this old time-honored phrase and uses it to the sacri- using it of the sacrifice that Jesus brought to God. The sacrifice of Jesus was well-pleasing to God. What was that sacrifice? That sacrifice was the perfect obedience to God that he demonstrated and the perfect love that he has for his children. What a sacrifice. Now here's the hard rub. Here's the sting. You want to be a loving, holy sacrifice to God as Romans 12:1 says? You want to live a life of love? Okay, then love just as Jesus loved you. How does he love? Well, hopefully, as we've seen in the past few moments, he loves the unlovely. (laughs) He loves the unworthy. He loves the ungodly. He loves the unkind. He loves the undeserving. That's you and me. Question. Do you care more about the souls of others than you do the hurt of your heart? 
Listen, when Matthew chapter 5, verse 48 says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, that is in direct reference to loving your enemies. That is the demonstrative love with which God loved us. In that passage, Jesus says, listen, it's easy to love the lovables. The Gentiles do that. You've heard that it's said, love your friends, hate your enemies. Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies. Remember this. Christ has forgiven you far more than you will ever have to forgive anyone. Anyone else. Now this brings us briefly to the book of 1 John chapter 4. Because perhaps you're wondering this morning, am I a Christian? (laughs) Am I saved? (laughs) In light of this high standard of love, perhaps we can see in a moment as we look at 1 John chapter 4 because this, this is a love test for salvation. We've seen the selfless love and the sacrificial love of Christ being selfless, active, committed, esteeming us. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and following, it reads, Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. See, do you hear it there? Walk in love. This is evidence that you know God, that you're born of God. Verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Exactly what Ephesians 5, 2, our text says this morning. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved, but that he loved us and sent his only son to be the the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. Pretty clear. There's the walk. There's the imitation, right? Verse 12. Now, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. Incredible. (laughs) Incredible. You, You see what he's saying here? You can't see God. But if you find someone loving... You have a picture of God (laughs) that you can see. (laughs) Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We have been, we have seen and testified that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. This is so gospel rich. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Did you hear that? If you don't walk in love, you have an expectation of judgment. If you have pronounced and protected grudges in your heart, 
of people you're refusing to love. Can I just go on to meddling here for a moment? You're not going to heaven. Heaven is not your true citizenship. Because you're proving that you don't love God. That he's not abiding in you. But love grants confidence in the day of judgment if we love. That's why he says in verse 18, look, there is no fear in love. Because perfect love casts out fear. Fear of what? Fear of judgment. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. <laughs> There's the imitation motivation for understanding. Verse 20. If someone says, I love God, yeah. And hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Jesus says in John 13, 35, they will know you are my disciples by your Love for one another. The world looks in at the body of Christ and they are amazed. They should be amazed at your love for one another. There is the gospel that many, that is the only gospel that many will see and never pick up a, a gospel track or a Bible. Perhaps the only gospel they will see is your life, is you loving one another and seeing that selfless, sacrificial, agape love towards one another. You say, okay, that's great, Chris. Um, <laughs> how does that, how does it actually look like then, okay? Because like, like I can love on the outside, I can do the good deeds, I can shake even the hands of my enemies and sort of get by with a, a facade. How do I actually apply this? Well, let's let our, our brother, um, Mr. Tripp, help us with what does the raw practicality of love look like in imitating Christ and walking in love as Christ loved us? Please buckle up and walk through this with me. Love is willing sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. Love is being willing to have your life complicated by the needs and struggles of others without impatience or anger. Love is actively fighting the temptation to be critical and judgmental toward another while looking for ways instead to encourage and praise. Love is making a daily commitment to resist the needless moments of conflict that come from pointing out and responding to minor offenses. Love is being humbly approachable in times of misunderstanding. Love is being more committed to unity and understanding than you are to winning, accusing, or being right. Love is a making a daily commitment to admit your sin, weakness, and failure, and to resist the temptation to offer an excuse or shift the blame. Love is being willing, when confronted by another, to examine your heart rather than rising to your defense or shifting the focus. Love is being unwilling to do what is wrong when you have been wronged but looking for specific ways to overcome evil with good. 
Love is being a good student of another, looking for their physical, emotional, and spiritual needs so that in some way you can remove the burden, support them as they carry it, or encourage them along the way. Love is being willing to invest the time necessary to discuss and understand the relational problems you face, staying on task until the problem is resolved. Love is being willing to always and humbly ask for forgiveness and always being committed to grant forgiveness. Love is speaking kindly and gently, even in moments of disagreement, refusing to attack the other person's character, Love is being unwilling to flatter, lie, manipulate, or deceive in any way in order to trick the other person into giving you what you want or doing something your way. Love is the willingness to have less free time in order to be faithful to what God has called you to be and to do as a spouse, parent, child, neighbor. Love is a commitment to say no to selfish instincts and to do everything that is within your ability to promote Christ-honoring unity. Love is the willingness to make regular and costly sacrifices without asking for anything in return or using your sacrifices to place the other person in your debt. Love is being unwilling to make any personal decision or choice that would harm a relationship, hurt the person, or weaken the bond of trust between you. Love is refusing to be self-focused or demanding, but instead looking for specific ways to serve, support, and encourage even when you are busy or tired. Now, before we go to the last one, 20 is the last one, by the way. (laughs) Before we go to the last one, you might stop and say, that sounds like law to me. It is a lot of doing. But you know like that song that we sing at Christmas time? His law is love. Did you hear that? His law is love and his gospel is peace. That's right. It is. If you're in Christ, you're going to love his law. You're going to be a Psalm 119 kind of a person. You're going to love the word of God. You're going to love his people. And you're going to want love to be incarnated the love of Christ, even in those specific heart attitude ways that we just saw in 1 through 19. But guess what? (laughs) Because our love fails, (laughs) there's grace for it all. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. We come to number 20. Love is daily admitting to God and the other person that you're unable to be driven by a cruciform love without God's protecting, forgiving, and delivering grace. Aren't you thankful for his love? Because even his love, even your good deeds as a Christian had to be paid for at the cross so that you were covered by his blood, covered by his love. Incredible, this cruciform love. All of that was really application for the message this morning. All of those points, but really boiling it all down to one. How do we do this? One point. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, you have to fixate your heart upon Christ's love. 
not the performance of your love that fails, but upon his steadfast, unfailing love. Set your heart upon Christ's love for you. Stare at the Son of God in his word. I think you know how to do that, dear brother, dear sister in Christ. You know how, but let me encourage you to to do it this way too. (laughs) How do I stare at Christ in his glory and his love? Please keep in tune with us in our study through the book of Hebrews. It is all about the glory and the superiority of the love of Jesus Christ (laughs) for his people. Stare at him and stare at his people. Stare at Christ and his people as they imitate him. Because, listen, to believe in Christ is to behold him. And in beholding him, you will increasingly walk in love towards others. If we are followers of Jesus, then our words, actions, and responses must be motivated by the gospel, by the cross, by Christ's love. And dear unbeliever this morning, if you are not in Christ, I beg you, I beg you this morning, see the love of Christ. See what he has done. I beg you, see someone after service. See our pastor at the Connection Center following It's my joy to proclaim the love of Christ to you this morning. It's my observation, I think it's all of our understanding and observation that we all fall short of the love of Christ for us. But his love does not fall short. It is perfect. He said, it is finished. It is finished. Believe in me. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us to believe the love with which you have for us and to love you and one another in return. Fill our hearts, Lord, with glowing love for you that reflects your likeness because you are the champion lover of our souls. You are the one who has drawn us by your amazing grace displayed on Calvary's hill. Lord, root and ground us in love so that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Thank you for such great love in which you call us your children. Help us to imitate you, Lord. Help us to sing this song as we never have before because afresh and anew you have renewed your love to us. May we renew our love to you and one another because of your grace. And it's in your name we pray, amen.